What's up, Daw Nation? My name is Wyatt Troy, and I want to welcome you to episode 11 of Behind the Daw, where we interview music producers, artists, music industry experts, people of that nature, on an emotional, philosophical, and artistic basis so that we can get inside their heads to gather that best information and then bring it back to you. By the way, this is a companion podcast to our YouTube series, In the Daw, where we invite artists to come and dissect their songs in real time. If you are interested in that, there is a link down in the description. Go ahead and click on that. Uh, Three things really quick before I introduce you to the guest that we have this week. There are three links down in the description. Link number one is for the Patreon. If you want to help in the DAW behind the DAW, keep going to keep bringing you these interviews indefinitely for free forever. Please check that out. It's literally $1 a month. And plus you get access to a private Discord community and a bunch of other things. So please check that out. Number two is the suggestions link. If you want to suggest someone to come on the show, go ahead, click on that link. And then finally, the third link is for private lessons. If you want private lessons in electronic music production or social media marketing, go ahead, click on those. Find a time for you, find a time for me, and we'll get you going. And we'll help you on your musical journey. So, who are we interviewing today? Today we are interviewing Marco G. Who is Marco G? Well, you may not know him directly, but I can almost guarantee you've listened to his music before. Maybe you know Lindsey Sterling. Maybe you know her song, Crystallize. The thing has like 53 million views on YouTube right now. So, what are the things that we're going to be learning from Lindsey Sterling's producer today? We're going to be talking about many things, but here's a couple of things to look out for. So, number one, why is it important to have a presence outside of the music hotspots like LA, New York, Nashville. Why is it important to have a presence outside of there? Why is it important to have a music presence in Salt Lake City or Denver or Portland or wherever it is? We're gonna talk about that. Number two, we're gonna be talking about, do you have to create your own music to feel fulfilled? Is it possible to create music for other people, kind of like what Marco did for Lindsey Sterling and still feel fulfilled? Is that possible? Stay tuned, we're gonna talk about it. And then finally, we're gonna, we're gonna get a brief look into Marco's spiritual beliefs. Now, I understand that most of the time, spiritual beliefs are, you know, uh, they're, they're kind of a hard thing to talk about, but I would encourage you to listen to it because it opens your mind, opens your mind to different beliefs, different thoughts, different ways of seeing the world. I'd highly encourage you to open your mind just to see what it is. You know, that's what the whole podcast is about is to open your mind to get different perspectives. So make sure to stay tuned for that. And finally, if you like this episode, please like, comment, subscribe, repost, follow, you know, whatever is appropriate on the particular platform that you're listening on. Maybe you're listening on YouTube or Spotify or SoundCloud or iTunes or Google Play or Deezer or really wherever you are listening to. You go ahead and just do the appropriate thing on that platform. It helps us know that what we're doing is legitimate, that we're going in the right direction, helping you in the fashion that we're supposed to. So with all that out of the way, Daw Nation, and without further ado, I want to introduce you to Marco G. has been a producer for Lindsay Sterling. He helped her in her early stages. He really helped her out with her with her YouTube channel. Marco, how you doing today, man? Good. How you doing? Dude, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much. And I also want to welcome my co-host today, John Devonport. He goes by Thrilogy. He was on episode seven of both In the Daw and Behind the Daw. It's good to have you back. How you doing, John? Good. 
<laughs> Sweet, man. We've missed you, John. So what's really, really awesome, we're all Utah boys, even though John's from Alaska, Marco's from Cali, but this is really, really nice to all have them here, have a nice common connection. Most of the time, I'm talking to people from around the world, so this is awesome. And we can all testify that Utah is an absolutely incredible place. I mean, am I wrong or is this the place? I love it here. I it's think it's gorgeous. great. That's yeah, great. everything you need. So Marco, for those who don't know you, and especially for those who do know you, but maybe don't know uh, some more of the intimate details of, of your music career, let's start with that. Let's, uh, you know, to, to tell us a little bit more about your music career. Sure. So what I did is I started off, I moved to LA when I went to college. I went to UCLA. I kind of got my start there in Los Angeles. And I started off kind of doing music for mostly commercials and TV programming. And from that, I ended up kind of like getting in a situation where I was starting to make some royalty income. From that, I started using my royalty income to buy up a bunch of gear. And I literally lived in an abandoned fraternity house for like, seriously, like this place was, it used to be a fraternity and then they like shut it down and then they just rented it to people. It was just a way I could keep my rent super cheap and like spend like all my money on musical equipment. I was paying, I think I was paying like $600 a month for rent living in LA and I had $80,000 worth of equipment in this tiny room. Kind of how it went down. That was the, you know, how it kind of got kickstarted. And then at some point I met this girl and we decided, hey, we're talking about getting married and she said, well, you know, Utah is a great place to raise kids and, and this and that. And I said, you know, um, you know, I have my business here in LA, but I can just go back and forth. I can keep my place here. I can have another place up there. So we kind of set up a little workspace up here. I met people you know, up here that were also already working and they had their own workspaces. So I would kind of switch off with them and, you know, help pay their rent and that kind of stuff. And then at some point, it's just kind of like the, the music scene here kind of started to, like I started to realize that there was a music scene here and I didn't really feel the need to be going back to LA anymore. And so I just kind of stayed here. And, and in fact, I got rid of my place in LA, sold a lot of my analog synths. I mean, this was the time when, do you guys remember when Nexus 2 was like really just like, everyone thought it was like the best kept secret. They're like, shh, you know, don't tell anybody about Nexus 2, man. Like, you know, everyone thought they had the, like the secret weapon, you know, and then, but everybody had it, you know? (laughs) And uh, so that was about that time. And like, I remember I was, I was working on EDM stuff even back then. And this was like 2009 or something like that. I had Nord leads. I had virus TIs. I had these crazy synths by a studio electronics called, uh, there was one called Omega 8. There was one called SE1. These are like super analog stuff that like Dr. Dre used all over his chronic 2001 album, you know, and, and that whole, like all that crazy spacey stuff, you know? And so, so I had all those and, and I remember I, I got on Craigslist and I literally sold almost every single analog keyboard I had. I just, I just got rid of it. Yeah. And, and I was like, cause you know, like Nexus two was kind of like, I was like, it was doing everything I wanted to do at that time. And I, and I didn't feel like the analog stuff was doing anything that the other stuff couldn't do better for the style that I was, you know, working on. And the only thing I kept was my virus TI. That's it. That's all I kept. I even had a virus C, which was actually super sick, but I mean, I don't regret selling any of this stuff. So I got here and I had my virus TI. I, I kind of used that a little bit, but 
then at some point I even sold that because for EDM, I just felt like, you know, software was where it was at. So I, I left LA, I sold all my stuff. I kept some stuff, but I had like $11,000 worth of just cash from selling my stuff on Craigslist. And I hightailed it out of there and, and came up here. And to be honest, I was, there was kind of a little bit of sadness, like, oh man, I'm leaving this place behind. And, you know, eventually I kind of just realized like, you know, the type of clientele that, that I was really kind of more jiving with was the type of clientele that, that was here. Being a member of the LDS church and all that kind of stuff, it was just kind of like, I, I just felt like people here kind of had the similar, you know, ideas yeah. that I had about the purposes of music, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. so I was totally cool with like, you know, working here and, and I had enough going on. You know, the TV thing kind of started to fizzle a little bit just because a couple of the programs that I was working on just kind of started to die. And, and so I just kind of transitioned to like working more with artists. And so that's kind of what I've been doing now is just working mostly with artists, YouTubers and that yeah. kind of thing. So we were talking a little bit before we started recording this. And so, uh, and this is good because you just talked about uh, the YouTubers that you were working with here, working with a lot of the, the Utah music scene. A lot of people don't really understand what that is, but just to like give a lot of people just a little bit of a background really quick. There's like Alex Boyer, Lindsey Sterling, Imagine Dragons came out of here, Neon Trees, Van Lady Love, Foreign Figures, Cascade came out of Utah. Am I forgetting any major ones right now? I Wasn't the used or something out of Utah? Was yeah, there? the used was, Piano Guys. Piano Guys. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So there, there's actually quite a big successful music community here. I mean, we have Trilogy on here. All right. What's up, Trilogy? <laughs> What's up, <laughs> <For> guys? <sure. laughs> uh, and tons of uh, tons of kids that, that are singing and, and doing well in their craft end up going to like The Voice. I mean, I don't know how many contestants have been on The Voice that are from Provo or even St. George. Absolutely. No, you're, you're absolutely correct. I would say, I mean, this, this is kind of personal opinion, I, I would guess, but I would say kind of the I hate saying this, the most famous quote unquote person that you've worked with thus far or went on to the biggest amount of success. Again, success is an arbitrary term, but would be Lindsey Sterling. I mean, would you say, is that, is that correct? Right. Well, I would say that the person that I've worked with so far that I've helped develop that has gone on to have the biggest career is Lindsey Sterling. Yeah, that's true. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So with that being said, I mean, walk us through some of the journey that you uh, went through with her. I mean, what, what did you help her out with? What were you involved with with her? The way it worked out is that, so I moved, like I said, I moved up to Utah. There was a studio that I was kind of renting or half sharing with uh, another producer here. And what happened is I was playing some beats for, you know, one of the guys that was just hanging out, like a drummer was on a track and he was just hanging out and I played him some beats that I did. And he was like, man, these are crazy. Like, um, you know, I got to hook you up with my friend, you know, this girl, Lindsay, uh, she, she was just on this show called America's Got Talent and she had just finished the season. And I don't know if you saw the season, but they kind of trashed her and they were like, yeah, you're going to get boring after 15 minutes or something like that. They totally, they were not nice, which is kind of funny because like then uh, she ended up becoming a big star, but so he, so he introduced me to her. His name was Brandon Cummings and he was a drummer here in, in Utah. Super nice guy. Introduced me to Lindsay and Lindsay said, you know, so she, at that point, she was the hip hop violinist. That was her like thing. And uh, she even had a video on YouTube where it said hip hop violinist. And she had sent that in. And that's how I think she got on the show or, or I can't remember exactly, but something like that. And uh, she, she had like a million views on this little video that she did where she played violin over like some hip hop track. And so that's how she got her kind of her name, hip hop violinist. And then what happened is we were talking about doing 
some original music and she needed a producer. She had worked with other producers before and I guess, you know, she wasn't really a hundred percent. And so, so she started working with me and I, and I was kind of like way into like electronic like way into it. And I was also noticing that a lot of the hip hop guys were singing over electronic like EDM beats. And so at that point I was kind of like, you know, hip hop's cool and all, but maybe if we did some like electro beats, I mean, that's what we were calling them back then, electro house. Or like, well, maybe we did some electro beats, you know, maybe that would be kind of cool. You'll have a little more energy and stuff like that. So she's like, okay, cool, cool. So we started working on the beats and the way I do it with most of my artists is I don't just make the beats by myself, hand it over and expect them to write over it and then just hit the record button and then we're done. I don't feel like the best music gets done that way. I feel like it's always good to have a back and forth to have like where the artist is part of the beat making process and you know they're they're telling you yes I like that or no I don't or you know what if you did this cuz back in the day when when it used to be bands like bands like Led Zeppelin or Beatles or whatever I mean they they used to play together and used to play off of each other. I've been in bands and I know like the bass player would play something and then I'd kind of add my own thing and then we'd go back and forth until it turned into something. And so I feel like that collaboration style just kind of creates a little more magic than like I think can be done, you know, by yourself. I feel like two heads is better than one, that that kind of theory. So that's how we did it. We would work on all the beats first. We'd make sure that I liked it and she liked it and we were both cool. This beat is done. And so then what she would do is she would take that beat, she would take it back to her little apartment in Provo here and when she was, I think she was still going to BYU or something and she was living with roommates and all that stuff. I just remember she would take like a little bit of time. She would work on these songs. She would come up with violin parts and then she'd say, okay, cool. I think I'm, I think I'm ready, you know? So then she'd come to the studio and we'd set up a pair of U87s, throw them through like either a Grace preamp or, or a Neve, like a 1073. We'd set it up and then she would start playing her parts, you know? And, and I would kind of listen to the parts and, and I'd kind of say, oh, okay, you know, uh, you know, that part sounds really, really awesome right there. Um, what if you repeated it again on this next bar or, and then, you know, she would try it and then she'd say like, yeah, I like that, but what if this? And and so we would do the same thing on the violins. We straight up go back and forth. You know, I just remember like we did when we did crystallize, it was like, she had an idea for the chorus and she was kind of playing through all these ideas. And I was like, okay, I'm going to hit loop record. Right. So I hit loop record and she's playing all these crazy, all these crazy ideas. Right. And then I remember at this like four in the morning or something, she was going to go on a plane ride the next day to go film at this ice castle. And in fact, she didn't even know which song she wanted to do. And, and, and so it was really late at night and she's just kind of ramming through all these notes. And, and so what I did was I ended up kind of doing a loop record. And over the course of this loop record, I realized, oh, okay, this these parts really fit the chord change really well. And these sound really, really great. These arpeggiated lines sound really great over the, the chord changes. So what I did was I used the um, playlist to kind of chop up what I thought the violin part should be. Oh. And then I... And then I played it back to her and I was like, okay, can you play that? Can you like play with that and like learn that and then play that? And she's like, yeah, yeah, sure. So, so then she played through that and played it and that ended up being the chorus that ended up being like, so we went through multiple phases of, of back and forth collaborating, like, you know, what do you think? Or I think this, or, you know, I'd send her a mix down and, and then I'd do a different mix down and, 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 and I would, you know, and she would say, yeah, no, I agree. I think the violin sounds a little, I kind of like the violin, even though it's not as clear. 
add us clean. It, like the edginess kind of just sounded cooler on that one mix. And so we'd, we'd totally go back and forth on everything. Mix down, mastering, everything. And we would do the car test to make sure it sounded good in the car. We did all that stuff. And so once she did all that, there was this really awesome YouTuber and his name was Devin Graham or Devin Supertramp. And so he has this fan base of people who want to watch his videos. His videos are like sports videos and crazy jetpacks and stunts and that kind of thing. And so he decided he was going to take a chance and he was going to like put this violin girl on one of his videos and put it on his channel. So he did. He put, it was the, like, I can't remember what he called it, like violin girl or something. I don't know. He did something like that. And he filmed her out in the middle of some field somewhere, some beautiful place that looked like it was from some fairy tale like movie or so, I don't know something and then he he threw it on his uh, YouTube channel and and then it started to pick up speed like it was like people were like really liking her and they thought she was super cool because she not only did she play violin but she danced and and she was like a legit dancer she wasn't just hey like i'm just gonna kind of move around and i mean she like she knew dance and so i mean if you see her videos now you'll see like she she does choreography with like other dancers who are legit so so she knows what's up there she did that and people really liked her and then at some point we decided hey you know this dance stuff is is cool meaning like the edm style that we were we were doing. I said, but I showed her like, this was before Skrillex. This was like Scream and Banga. There you go. Like guys like that. Right. And I was showing her all these kind of crazy dubstepy beats and, and she was like, oh, okay, Marco. Yeah, that's nice. You know? Okay. Well, let's keep doing our dance beats. Yeah. Okay. And then like what happened is I think Skrillex came out and I think maybe, uh, one of her friends had told her like, you know, I really think you should try to dabble in this dubstep stuff. I think one of her friends maybe like ultimately like convinced her. And so then I said, yeah, like, you know, we should do it. And so she kind of gave it a chance. She wasn't really sure. She, I remember even after we had recorded the violin parts and I gave her a rough mix and she was out the uh, ice castles in Colorado. She texted me like that night after the video shoot. She's like, hey, Marco, hey, I really like it. I wasn't sure about it and I didn't know because you know I mean obviously it was so different and like you know nothing like it and she's like yeah I wasn't sure but I like it I really like it I think it's good I was like okay awesome you know so then we released it and after we released that video dubstep violin video I mean that was that was basically like started her career you know like really started it and then after that we finished her record we finished her album we released the album I think one year after the album was released I think she had like four and a half million YouTube subscribers after that first wow. album. It was a pretty big deal too, because there was no record company. I mean, there was no, nobody pushing anything. It was just straight YouTube. She does a lot of maneuvering online herself. You know, she's, she's really good at that. In fact, she was even editing her own videos. I think she even edited Crystallize herself. I think she edited that video herself. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I mean, now she doesn't, I don't think she edits them now because she probably doesn't have time, probably. but I mean, who knows? Maybe she does a little bit. So you've been doing this thing with Lindsey Sterling and these other artists. What's kind of your end goal with music? Like where do you want to see yourself in, you know, the next few years with music? I kind of don't look at it as much of as an end goal. I kind of look at it more like I'm using my talents and I'm using my skills to help other people get to where they're trying to go. And so my goal is to find people who have, you know, who are doing music for the right reasons and who are interested in doing something that will be positive. And so I'm really kind of big on helping those, those types of artists. And so my end goal is help as many artists as I can 
to be able to, you know, do something good, be able to use their talents and promote something good. That's awesome. I feel like the music scene needs a lot more people like that, to be honest. Yeah, for sure. I think that there's a lot of talent here in this area. And there's a lot, there are a lot of people who are trying to be good role models for younger kids and that kind of thing. And I really think that if they had the right help, that they could do it. To be honest, Marco, so you're a perfect example of this because uh, all of us know Brendan Nielsen. He goes by BDN, who's who's currently about to release a, an album about uh, addiction recovery, and and you played an integral part with creating that, right? I mean, you you helped him, you coached him, you did a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. Well, what I did was, you know, they came to me. The way I see it is that there's different types of artists. You have your singer songwriters and you also have your bands and then you also have your laptop artists. And laptop artists can be, you know, whatever style they are. I know some laptop artists who are kind of, kind of indie, you know, electronic, you know, indie or something. And then you know, there's other guys that are just, you know, really straight EDM. Sure. And I think B, I think BDN is really like electronic dance. You know, he's kind of in that zone. He's basically like what I would say a laptop artist. Mm-hmm. He creates his music on his laptop and, you know, he's got an, a little setup, you know, a nice setup that he uses. But what I, what I'm doing for him is I'm helping him you know, with the mixing and mastering and also with a little bit of production. So for instance, we'll, uh, he'll, he'll bring a song to me and I'll just kind of, you know, we'll pull it up on Ableton, you know, and I'll just kind of go through it and I'll say, Hey, well this, I, you know, musically it, you know, it is what it is. You know, he's, he's done his thing and it sounds cool and I, I really like it, but you know, this one sound could use a little bit of this, or maybe this sound could be, this kick drum could be replaced with something a little, a little different, or, you know, I see where you're going with that, but let's try this, you know, even sometimes arranging, you know, like, you know, Hey, the, what you have here works, but let's just rearrange it a little bit. So it has a different format. I was going to ask, I don't know if we have time, but I, I kind of wanted to rewind it a little bit and go before LA kind of like what first got you into music like what what was it that kind of drew you to music and why why like what's sure. the reasoning behind that sure well i think that most most musicians start you know really young they they're already they're they're interested in instruments like at a young age i think i was maybe five years old and i was trying to find things to drum with i'm a i'm a drummer that's you know kind of how i started so i that's what i did i i started off with drums and i was always into like kind of rock music growing up but then at some point when i was in high school i kind of discovered house music so this was like in the 90s this was like underground house music you know and i really liked it i think i thought it was sick then i found then i discovered goa trance i don't know if anyone even remembers what goa trance is Uh (laughs) but it's like super euro like teched out i think they called it techno at one point but this was called trance, you know, it was a little different. They still use the term trance these days. But yeah, so so I just got interested in that. I was in the Bay Area, so bass music was big, like lots of like hip hop with real heavy bass, rolling bass lines and stuff. So that was a that was a big deal. So it's kind of like when if you think about those different various styles, I almost feel like dubstep is a perfect culmination of all those cuz cuz dubstep is literally like the heavy metal of electronic music. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's got it's got the bass line, so it's got the fatty bass, and it's got the electronic element to it. It's like it's very much in the zone of 
all the kind of music I liked growing up. It's just kind of a new way of doing it. So, but now I'm into anything. I'm into everything, future bass, deep house. You know, I love recording bands, live music. I love doing just totally organic, like not a single sample, like nothing, just totally organic and record everything with mics and guitars and real drums. And it's a great time to be doing music right now. Final, final question for you. Some I ask everyone who comes on the show. Uh, you mentioned you had a son, right? Yeah, I do. Perfect. So let's say that uh, you go throughout your life and you enjoyed uh, your life as much as you desire. You fulfilled your dreams and you fulfilled your goals and everything like that. And now the time has come or now you're on your deathbed and you're about to you know, basically leave this life and you look over and you see your son and you have enough energy to give your son one final piece of advice best advice yeah yeah the best advice you've ever heard in your life and whether that's a word whether that's a sentence or a concept or, or a phrase or whatever it is what would that that one thing be follow god's commandments that's awesome yeah man <laughs> that's fantastic dude but i would say i would say follow god like do what god wants you to do that's the most important thing beyond like it, you know i'm a religious person for me beyond any music or anything i'm doing like doing what god wants you to do is the most important thing and really you know just trying your best that's that's the most important i think i think it's important to note that you know i, I am a mormon as well john here you you, you aren't you aren't a mormon right no it's important to note that i mean obviously on the podcast we accept all religions we love everybody but you know like on a spiritual standpoint that is a really great thing to say and whether someone is listening to this and they agree with you on that specific spiritual standpoint or not the fact that you're open about it that you're authentic with it that, that, that you, you know you meant what you said i feel like everyone can feel that you know what i mean whether whether they're a mormon or not whether they're a christian or not whether they believe in god or not i feel like people can feel your faith by what you're doing and so to me, my hat is off. I'm not going to take my hat off because my headphones are on, but my hat is off to you, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, dude. And thank you guys so much. Thank you so much for coming on the show, dude. Yeah, thank Great. you. Great. Thank you. What's up, Daw Nation? I hope you enjoyed this episode of Behind the Daw, episode 11 with Marco G, who is Lindsey Sterling's producer. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please let us know down in the comments or in the reviews on iTunes. But if you didn't, please let us know down in the comments or the review on iTunes. Uh, if you are interested in the Patreon, giving suggestions for people to come on the show or in having private lessons in electronic music production or social media marketing, go ahead, click the links down in the description. Again, make sure to like, comment, subscribe, repost, follow, whether you're on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, Google Play, Deezer, wherever you're at. Just helps us know that what we're doing is going in the right direction. Finally, make sure to check out the next episode of In The Dog. If you really like sound design, the next episode of In The Daw is going to get you. It's with Frequent. If you don't know about Frequent and the Upscale Boys, please check them out. They're insane. The sound design techniques that we're going to be talking about is amazing. So make sure to check out the next episode. That is 11.5 of Behind The Dot with Frequent. We're going to be breaking down his song, Alpha State. And with all that said, Daw Nation, I hope you have a fantastic day. And we'll catch you on the next episode of Behind The Daw.